Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. He's been described as, quote, perhaps the cleverest forger on record. Some historians believe he may have produced as many as 600 forgeries of letters, music manuscripts, and other documents attributed to names like Mozart and Galileo before he got caught. So let's meet Tobia Nikotra. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarchi. And I'm Holly Fry. Not much is known about this Italian forger's life. Nikotra once claimed to be the son of a botany professor. He also once wrote that he had graduated with a degree in music from a conservatory in Naples in 1909. True or not, nobody actually knows. What historians do know is that he began selling his forgeries in the 1920s. Nicotra produced inauthentic works of artists across many disciplines. One of his most notorious fakes that we'll talk about was mistaken as a genuine Mozart by the Library of Congress. He also forged signatures and documents by Christopher Columbus, Leonardo da Vinci, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther, Michelangelo, and George Washington. The list goes on. You'll see. Nicotra really did forge a bit of a lot of things. He forged a poem he claimed was written by the Italian Renaissance poet Tasso. Some stories about him suggest he once nearly started a minor international incident when he created a fake Christopher Columbus letter in which Columbus identified his birthplace as Spain, not Italy. And that set off an uproar among Italians that prompted the mayor of Genoa to reaffirm Columbus's Italian ancestry. He forged musical manuscripts by well-known composers, not just forging the signatures, but composing the works themselves. Giovanni Battista Pergolesi, an early 18th-century composer who died shortly after his 26th birthday, was a popular target for forgery, and Nicotra was one of his famous forgers. 
Bergolesi's popularity grew after his death, after a performance of his intermezzo, La Serva Padrona, that's the servant mistress, and that sparked the Querelle de Buffon in Paris, a controversy over musical philosophies. Pergolesi's small canon is small, and it is still today debated. That in itself opened the door to all kinds of inauthentic works being passed as genuine. With a small catalog of known compositions from a fairly young composer, it's been difficult for experts to verify what was and wasn't his original work. It's thought that Nicotra forged at least four Pergolesi compositions. It was a piece called Agnes Dei that wound up in the collection of the Metropolitan Opera and ultimately was determined to be inauthentic. Christie's Auction House described it in June of 2017 as, quote, an intriguing forgery once thought to belong to the hotly debated Pergolesi canon. Clearly cited as, quote, created by the prolific forger, Tobia Nicotra, the known fake sold for $375. In 1928, the Library of Congress purchased an alleged Mozart manuscript, an aria called Bacci Amorosi Ecari, supposedly composed by the famous maestro at age 14, and they paid $60 for it, believing it was authentic. In fact, though, Nicotra composed the piece himself, but it would be years before library officials knew they were housing a fake. According to Paul Allen Sommerfeld, a music reference specialist at the Library of Congress, quote, It was so special because, first of all, it was unknown, so it wasn't reported in any of the thematic catalogs of Mozart at the time. Just the very next year, Nicotra became an author when he wrote a biography of New York Philharmonic Orchestra conductor Arturo Toscanini. Toscanini would have been around 62 years old when this biography was published. It turned out, though, to be a story that was more fiction than fact. We don't know Toscanini's reaction to it, although we sure would like to. We're going to take a break for a word from our sponsor. When we return, we'll talk about the one and only time Nicotra went to prison for selling his forged work, and how his Galileo forgery ended up at the University of Michigan. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But 
That also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about what happened when a Nicotra-forged Galileo manuscript was discovered at the University of Michigan. Nicotra was arrested in Milan, Italy, in November of 1934, after he sold a fake Mozart autograph to the son of Arturo Toscanini, Walter Toscanini. When Walter discovered the autograph he'd purchased for 2,700 lira was not authentic, he tipped off Milanese detective Giorgio Florita about the forgery and the identity of the forger. Police raided Nicotra's Milan apartment, and he was arrested. In court, they testified they had found him in his workshop, busy working on forged autographs of Christopher Columbus and Lorenzo de' Medici. He was also accused of composing historically plausible documents, musical manuscripts, and letters, supposedly written by the same people whose signatures he forged. According to his trial coverage, as reported by the New York Times, Nicotra relied on the Milan Library for his forging work, but not for reasons you might initially think. He wasn't visiting to learn or research more about historical figures. The library was his source for paper. 
He ripped blank pages and fly leaves from old books and created many of his forgeries on that authentic paper. In fact, later, librarians in Milan testified that, yes, Nicotra had destroyed dozens of books doing this. The master forger testified that he had sold the counterfeit autograph to Toscanini, quote, to support his seven loves. Now, take it with a grain of salt, but as reported in some coverage of the trial, investigators did testify that they found what they described as a kind of altar to seven women. An article about the trial printed in the American Weekly, a Hearst publication, in early 1935 described a room with, quote, black velvet-covered walls with seven panels featuring paintings, sketches, and photographs of seven women, one of whom was said to be a novelty dancer and another an expert swimmer, with fresh flowers in front of each. The pictures in some cases displayed their physical attractions with startling frankness, but they were in general highly artistic. The American Weekly also noted in their coverage that, quote, incidentally, he also had a wife. There are no known photos of Nicotra. The best we have is a glimpse of him from a courtroom sketch that appeared alongside the story published by the American Weekly. In that sketch, he is portrayed as a thin, balding man with glasses, a mustache, and a goatee. Some accounts say that he was 53 at the time of his trial, but a birth certificate suggests that he may have been only 44. When you're talking about a forger, though, it can be hard to know what's real and what's not. In addition to the signature forgery accusation, Walter Toscanini also included in his testimony that Nicotra had visited the United States in 1932, posing as the musician Ricardo Drigo, and that while in the States, he was, quote, widely feted. It's unclear whether or not either man knew Drigo, who was an Italian composer of ballet music and opera, had died in 1930, two years prior to when this ruse may have happened. Regardless, no one seemed to care. Of the trial, Walter stated that he, quote, wanted to restore the faith of foreign collectors in Italian dealers. On November 9th, Nicotra was convicted, primarily on Walter's testimony. He was sentenced to two years in jail and fined 2,400 lire. It was his only conviction for forgery. It's believed Nicotra didn't serve much of his sentence. Some accounts suggest he may have been paroled early on behalf of Benito Mussolini and the fascist party who wanted him to forge the signatures of their enemies during the Second World War. And then, unlike his forgeries, he just kind of faded into obscurity. Much of his work is believed to have gone undetected. But, from time to time, Nicotra pops up. With possibly hundreds of forgeries in circulation, it's bound to happen. And he did recently show up at the University of Michigan, we can now add Galileo to the list of people he forged. Galileo was an Italian physicist, engineer, and notable astronomer. Though he wasn't the first to look through a telescope, he was the first to document the phases of Venus and the stars of the Milky Way. So when a new Galileo manuscript appeared centuries after his death, it was, of course, really exciting. It was a single sheet of paper. The top half of the manuscript was a draft of a letter Galileo sent to the Doge of Venice on August 24, 1609, regarding a new telescope that was built that year. 
The bottom half of the document included notes and sketches allegedly made by Galileo when he used the telescope to observe Jupiter's moons, plotted from January 7th through January 15, 1610. It was the first time observational data showed celestial objects orbiting a body other than Earth. The manuscript debunked the theory held in Galileo's era, that everything in the universe orbited our planet. It helped substantiate Nicolaus Copernicus's heliocentric theory and laid the foundation for modern astronomy. The first appearance of the alleged Galileo document was in 1934, when the American Art Anderson Galleries auctioned the library of Roderick Terry, a wealthy manuscript collector. It was part of his collection, but the origin story died with him. According to the auction catalog, it was authenticated by Cardinal Pietro Maffi, the Archbishop of Pisa, who had compared the writing against documents signed by Galileo. He compared them to letters in his own personal collection. It passed the visual test and the document was sold with a note of authentication. Tracy McGregor, a businessman from Detroit who had collected books and manuscripts, purchased it in May of 1934. Following his death, McGregor's trustees bequeathed the manuscript to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor in 1938 in recognition of Heber Curtis, a professor of astronomy at the school. And it's been there ever since. Said officials from the University of Michigan in regard to their Galileo manuscript, quote, It reflects a pivotal moment in Galileo's life that helped to change our understanding of the universe. We're going to pause here for a word from our sponsor. And when we're back, we will talk about how a professor at Georgia State University debunked the authenticity of the Galileo manuscript. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's talk about how the provenance of this document unraveled and how it began with a simple watermark. Not everyone agreed the Galileo document was genuine. Enter Nick Wilding. Wilding is a historian and professor of history at Georgia State University and is often called in to verify the authenticity of rare manuscripts. He's also famous for his work uncovering Galileo forgeries, including exposing a forged draft of the Sidereus Nuncius, which was Galileo's first publication of his celestial observations, as being inauthentic. According to Wilding, he, quote, got a little spidey sense when he heard about the document in Michigan. Suspecting it 
could be a forgery, he emailed Pablo Alvarez, curator at the University of Michigan's Special Collections Research Center. Said Alvarez, who recognized Wilding for his work uncovering forgeries, quote, I had a sinking feeling when I saw Nick Wilding's name on an email. Wilding first asked to see an image of the document's watermark. Amy Christ, book and paper conservator at the library, used a special light table to locate the mark. It was a circle with a three-leafed clover, and the monogram read AS slash BMO. Experts can date paper by its watermark, because often the watermark is linked to a particular paper mill that manufactured during a particular period. For instance, the watermark on the alleged Galileo manuscript contains monograms for the paper maker's initials. That's the AS. And then the site of production. That's the BMO. The watermark caused Wilding to have, quote, serious doubt. As he researched the watermark, he found another example. Another Galileo document at the Morgan Library and Museum in New York had a slightly different watermark, but the same monogram. Said Wilding of the find, quote, when that document in the Morgan Museum in New York revealed similar AS and BMO monograms, I realized that the Ann Arbor and the Morgan document were siblings, and both must be forgeries. Part of the monogram, the BMO, that he discovered was a reference to the Italian city of Bergamo. He also discovered that no document with that mark exists before the year 1770, more than 150 years after Galileo had supposedly written the manuscript, though it was commonly used after 1770. Two paper experts independently dated the paper to the end of the 18th century. Galileo, he died in 1642. When it came to clues about the forgery, Wilding also noted the handwriting, quote, the document was supposed to be a draft, but in this draft, Galileo had on his Sunday best, a formal hand. At that time in Europe, most people had different styles of handwriting to suit different purposes. There were other anomalies that only a Galileo scholar would see, including even how he crossed his T's and dotted his I's, literally. According to handwriting experts, Galileo had a habit of letting the crossbow of his T's dip into the letter E if an E followed. That detail was missing in the forged document. Also problematic were the pen and ink that were used. The ink was not right, and the quill was... As Wilding explained, quote, a quill that Galileo never used. And then there was the content. So the bottom half of the one-page manuscript included Galileo's signature along with five watercolor paintings charting Jupiter's moons. That was notable because Galileo had only used etchings in other known versions. And then there was the Cardinal's examination of the manuscript. He compared it to two documents that were believed to be genuine Galileo works. But long after his death in 1931, it was Wilding who tracked them to the Cardinal's archives in Pisa. And from there, he discovered that they, too, were fakes. Donated to the Archbishop by a man named Tobiah Nicotra. Nicotra was a name Wilding was familiar with. His forgeries, according to Wilding, filled gaps. Quote, They are things that might have existed and now do. Of him, Wilding has said, quote, he seemed to have sold directly to individual collectors rather than to dealers, and this cut down on the chance of being caught 
as dealers talk to each other a lot. And as if we really needed more evidence, there was no record of such a Galileo document ever existing prior to the 1930s. At least there's no record of such a thing in the extremely thorough 20-volume National Edition of Galileo's Works, published between 1890 and 1909. That's a work that is still today considered the reference material for all things about Galileo. University of Michigan Library Director of Communication and Marketing Alan Pignon said of the work, quote, Anybody who looked at it since it's been around has just been looking at other known Galileos. The handwriting matches because Nicotra was good. It wasn't until actually looking at the paper itself that something started to maybe not make sense. According to Wilding, quote, Were it not for the mistake with the paper, it would be quite hard to prove. The main thing it lacks is a good backstory, but that's true of a good many genuine documents, too. Donna Hayward, interim dean of the University of Michigan's libraries, told the New York Times at the time of discovery, quote, It was pretty gut-wrenching when we first learned our Galileo was not actually a Galileo. The university did not hide the mistake. Instead, they decided to announce their findings to the public as an act of transparency, stating, quote, After an internal investigation of the findings of Nick Wilding, the library has concluded that its Galileo manuscript is in fact a 20th century forgery. After our own experts studied his most compelling evidence about the paper and provenance and re-examined the manuscript, we agreed with his conclusion. The statement continued, quote, We are grateful to Professor Wilding for sharing his findings and are now working to reconsider the manuscript's role in our collection. It can be really easy and it can be really difficult to expose a forgery. According to Wilding, quote, hindsight makes most forgeries look shoddy, but there's nothing obviously wrong materially or texturally with most of Nicotra's forgeries. The Michigan document is good because it's so presentable, so photographable. It's a made-for-reproduction image, possibly because it was made from photographic facsimiles. Ultimately, because the forgery was based on actual works by Galileo, if you're looking for the real deal, you can see them. The genuine letter from Galileo to the Doge of Venice, that's the top part of what Nicotri used in his forged manuscript, is today held in the Archivio di Stato di Venezia. The genuine notes and drawings from the bottom of the document are part of the Sidereus Nuncius dossier at the Biblioteca Nazionale Centrale di Firenze. To give Wilding the final word, quote, Now we can get on with what we know to be true. You know what I know to be true? A good drink. I love a cocktail. That's the truth. There's no getting around it. The thing that stuck out to me in this particular story, it echoes a thing that's come up several times now is the stealing of paper from books. That, to me, has really stuck out as well. I didn't realize until we started this season that this was a thing, capital T. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's very common. So that made me think of an existing cocktail called a paper plane. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a fairly recent cocktail. It was invented in either 2007 or 2008 by a man named Sam Ross. And it's variation on another cocktail called The Last Word. But I thought it would be fun to make something that looks like a paper plane, but is not. And since it's not as commonly known as some of the others we've talked about, 
even though it's very popular right now, and a delicious cocktail. Uh, a paper plane is three quarters of an ounce each of the following four ingredients. So Amaro Nonino, Aperol, Wild Turkey 101 bourbon, and fresh <laughs> lemon juice. It's a bourbon and bitter orange drink. And that's normally shaken and served in a chilled cocktail glass, and it's very pretty. How do I not know about this drink? Because this is right up my alley. It is <laughs> so up your alley. It's so up your alley. But I made something that looks like it, but it does not taste at all like <laughs> And I'm calling it stolen paper. I wanted to do equal measures for it, but it didn't quite work. So we had to twist things around a little. So it's half an ounce of raspberry liqueur, an ounce of passion fruit liqueur, three quarters of an ounce of gin, and then three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice. This looks very much like a paper plane. You shake it and with ice and then you strain it into a chilled cocktail glass. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where I made it trying to match the color. And then I was like, I don't know what this is going to taste like. <laughs> and then I took a sip and was like, real good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the exact words were hot damn. That yeah, came out of my sounds mouth. right. <laughs> yes, the stolen paper in honor of... <laughs> The librarians of Milan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And everywhere else that have had their <laughs> books ruined by people trying to forge things. If you would like to make a mocktail version of this, I will say for the mocktail, we're diverging a little bit because often what I sub for gin is like a flat tonic water or something along those lines. I don't want to do it this time, and I'll tell you why. What you're going to use for the mocktail is... Syrup. So you're going to use a uh, half an ounce of raspberry syrup, an ounce of passion fruit syrup. You're going to use that three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice. Then you're going to just put like two ounces of ice cold club soda in it. Okay. This is the peppiest, yummiest. It's still got the sweetness of the fruit because there's there is a lot of syrup, but the club soda just makes it sippable. And you can even add more if it's too sweet for you still. You can up the club soda and get something really nice. I will say the lemon juice is high enough in volume to the rest of it that it cuts that sugariness quite a bit. So it's not, for me, it didn't taste cloying, but it was just the most refreshing, crisp, delightful, super yummy. Raspberry and passion fruit together are always very yummy anyway. And for this one, I just, so that's stolen paper. Don't steal paper. Don't tear leaves out of books, particularly no. old books. Oh, goodness. This is where I tell you that one of my jobs many moons ago was repairing old books in a library, not with an eye towards conservation, but just towards getting them back into circulation because they were books that needed to be right. available to students. So I often encountered poor, sad books, not necessarily that had been used for forgery purposes, but just that just didn't get treated very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you got to save those. Other people need that information, potentially. So we hope if you make a stolen paper, it's delicious. It's such a strange sentence to have heard. If you oh, make a stolen paper. Drink a stolen paper. <laughs> drink a stolen paper. <laughs> Yummy, nummy, nummies. We will be right back here next week with another forgery and more drinks that look like other drinks that hopefully are delicious. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then, fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.